Welcome to the Future of Tourism podcast. I'm David Peacock. Stop owning your own content. Young leaders are stepping up. Bring everyone to the table. And imagine their world anew. In the case of Liverpool, most narratives begin with phrases like once a great port city or the gateway to the empire. Its location on the northwest coast of England made it a center for commercial trading during the British Empire, and this aspect of the city's past forms the basis of its UNESCO World Heritage status. It's a narrative that usually includes a passing nod to the decline of the shipping industry in the 20th century and a Second World War legacy that includes being heavily bombed and having no resources to rebuild. By the 1980s, Liverpool Centre was hard scrabble indeed. But then things started to change, and rapidly. By 2004, Liverpool was on the shortlist for an ECOC designation, and by 2008 it was awarded the prestigious title of European Capital of Culture. The overwhelming success of the city's cultural designation had catapulted a decade and a half of unprecedented growth, but that inevitably would clash with their World Heritage Site designation. Which leads us to the question, cultural heritage, a catalytic force for destination development or a double-edged sword that needs to be wielded very carefully? My guests today are two people who have been sitting front row at the table, so to speak, in Liverpool since the 1980s. Chris Brown is the Director of Marketing for Liverpool, a Liverpool City Council initiative, and Richard Veal is the Managing Director at SimpleView Europe. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Richard. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Richard, this this podcast sort of generated, came out of a, a discussion you and I were having at a retreat. We started to talk about the transformative power of destination development, especially around things like capital of culture, WHO designations and the like. Um, that led us to a small podcast of our own that explored the life and times of Richard Veal. But it also, you introduced me in, in there to Chris. Um, Chris, you have a really front row seat on this. You were on some of the initial planning committees as they went through change. Talk to me about the 1980s in Liverpool. Where were you? I know you've been there for a, a number of years, moved on, worked in some other councils, did some other development and come back. But yeah. where were you in the 80s? Well, in the 80s, I was, uh, I mean, I was still, uh, I was kind of working in the hotel sector. I was kind of doing uh, a bit in London, a bit in, in, in different parts of the country. Uh, I'd also kind of had a, an early incursion into Liverpool uh, through, uh, through hotel training and, and development. So I'd had a bit of an insight into, into Liverpool before I came here in the, in the 1990s. Yeah? Uh, but I think it would be fair to say that in the 1980s, and into the 90s, Liverpool was busy trying to rediscover itself. It had gone through a period of uh, a decline, significant decline following the, the decline in the port. And it was having a period of, of trying to re-identify what its purpose was, what it, where it was going to go. And it was probably trailing most destinations, most major cities by 10 to 15 years in that thinking. So they had a, had a lot of um, uh, political tension within the city, had a lot of... Uh, animosity within the tensions. We had the Toxus riots at that time as well. We had a lot of things that were fundamentally underpinning the fact that Liverpool had kind of lost its way and wasn't too sure in which direction it was going in. Yeah? 
which is makes the makes the period of where we are now talking today about where it was in the 80s quite remarkable because it wasn't in a good place in the 80s and i would say even into the late 90s it wasn't in a good place but by, by, by 1995 it had captured your attention enough that you'd actually moved to liverpool yeah. you were G, you were gm at the moat house hotel and within within sort of four or five years of that you were actually tapped to be the director of operations of the mersey partnership which is pivotal to the beginning of that uh, ECLC bit, isn't it? Yes, it was. Um, I mean, it, you know, considering that was the, you know, I, I, when I first came here working in the hotel sector, I think probably we had about six hotels who were competing against each other at that time. The market was completely dominated by, I remember, by Fords at Halewood and Liverpool Football Club. That was it. And, and fundamentally, and a bit of Beatles stuff kind of thrown in, but it was pretty, it was pretty low-level stuff at that time. And I think uh, when I moved to the Mercy Partnership, they, they created a poster of director of tourism, which was uh, interestingly for me because I'd been in Glasgow when Glasgow had been capital capital of culture, and Liverpool was starting to think about the capital of culture coming back. It was coming back as a UK nomination for 2008. Um, and there was a there was early incursions in that conversation in the early 2000s about Liverpool bidding for that. But I think it's always it's always able to remember Liverpool bidded for capital of culture as a positioning statement. They had no kind of inner belief that they're going to win it, which is probably actually why they won it. It was purely about saying that Liverpool was starting to come back. Liverpool was uh, having a, a renewed energy and was starting to put itself back on the front foot, having been on the back foot for you know, for, for a couple of decades or so. So this was, a, this was very much about Liverpool using the capital culture uh, process to fundamentally underpin what it as a city was trying to achieve. Thank you for that. Richard, you were there. Um, what year did you show up in Liverpool? Um, whew, uh, I think it was, was it 87, I think, showing my age there. Yeah, um, sort of as a, a sort of undergraduate at Liverpool University, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I was um, I was there sort of right in the well soon after the Toxters riots, I guess. Um, mm. But you know, I, I mean, it was. Uh, I suppose you don't think about that when you're 18, do you? You're just you're away from home and you're just exploring but and having a. By by 1994, 95 though, Chris is in Liverpool. It's starting to turn a corner. Just starting as you as you talk about you know rationalizing the hotel culture and and looking at that sort of thing. You've just graduated by that point, haven't you, Richard? Yeah, it, it's sort of early nineties, and you know, yeah. and first job as a software developer so, and things like that. Do you remember? Do you remember any of the feeling or the zeitgeist? You know, you were in the industry, um, Chris. You're working away. Um, what at the time is Mersey Partnerships? Were you starting to feel it, Richard? Could you tell something was going on? Yeah, but it was. I suppose it was more um, as I ended my first phase of my career as an engineer and it was when I was starting to think about forming um, a, a company um, of my own that I suppose I was much more in tune to um, the economic um, trajectory of the company of, of, the, of the city sorry I would say you don't think about that too much you know when you're when you're a student do you but um, yeah it was when I was turning my mind to, to that it was it was much more apparent then that something was happening so, so Chris, as you're out there, you know, when I can imagine as you're the director of operations at Mersey Partnership, the first thing would be to develop 
a strategy for Mersey Partnership, you're beating the bushes out there and you're building a network across Liverpool to get something that, you know, essentially by 2004, it's become a real idea. And by 2008, it's manifest. What was it like beating the bushes for those first stakeholders? I, I've read about the bigger scheme of things in the city and stuff, but tell me about being there because I think that's the lesson that's relative relevant to today is we're all shifting and struggling as destinations to become more relevant locally. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with the Liverpool story, because it's about how that designation helped it you know, chart its focus. It's also about the networks you built along the way, because as you say, the focus was a, a way of saying we're re-emerging. The work was the re-emerging. So what was it like, those early partnerships? Well, I think, I think first, if the interesting factor there straight from the start would be the fact that this was called the Mersey Partnership. It wasn't called the Liverpool Partnership. And that's because at that time, Merseyside was the brand. Liverpool was not the brand. Merseyside basically had, had basically taken over the brand of Liverpool in the context that Liverpool didn't have the, the kudos that it should have had at that moment in time. So everything was basically Merseyside level. And we spent a lot of time in those early years, you know, very much about, you know, looking at how, how are we going to basically get, you know, the, the, the growth of the Liverpool brand uh, to be to be recognised greater, and that was a lot of stuff we did around uh, around you know around crime, around various factors about people's perceptions, because people had very very low perceptions and very low expectations of Liverpool in many ways. And it was, if you remember, in that time, it was the butt of every comedian that was on the circuit. Liverpool was always in 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 that space, um, and so everything was very much led from a Merseyside, not a Liverpool perspective. And as we started to develop. Through the 2000s and and the the bid for capital of culture we started to become a realism then in, in one regard you know there was there was a lot of kind of you know at that time you're having a laugh liverpool's going for capital of culture you cannot i cannot believe that liverpool thinks it's got the ability to do that so we had to deal with a lot of cynicism and it was i think a lot down to to sir bob scott who led that bid um you know bob had come across from leading the manchester olympics bid which then you know, ultimately became the Manchester Commonwealth Games. He brought a wealth of experience and knowledge into the equation, and he helped centre the, the 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 kind of dynamics about. Wait a minute, we've actually got to win a bid here. There's a bid to win here. Let's forget about some of the the outdoor scenery that might be affecting our ability. And that gave us a bit more of a razor sharp approach to how we were going to basically win that. How we were going to win that bid. And one thing he knew when he first arrived in Liverpool that Liverpool had a real advantage over lots of the other cities. Considering, I think if you were, I can't remember exactly what the bookmaker odds were at that time, but Liverpool was the outsider and all that. Uh, it was very much around the fact that Liverpool had people and a desperation and a real hunger amongst its citizens to see something better. It, it really, the citizens wanted this accolade, and in one regard, it was that it was that unity of actually give this to us, we need this, we'll do a great job with this, that took us outside of the sort of like, we're great, we're good, we're good at this, we're right, good at that. Right. And actually, it came from the grassroots. And, and that is, is, was a really fundamental changing point, I think, in terms of how Liverpool managed to energise and get its community solidly behind an initiative because they were hungry to, to grasp onto so, something. So, so it had Chris, decades of bad news. Sorry, Sir Bob's statement then was purposefully 
audacious. It was meant to move and inspire and ignite because as you say, they were butt of the joke. So you're literally using that, that angle that, you know, people say we can't do this to move and inspire, inspire yep. Liverpudlians. Now someone would, someone who knows Liverpool a bit would say, I mean, well, that's kind of the Liverpool ethos, isn't it? You know, tell me I can't do it. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think, I think in a one in a way, it, 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 you know, I think Liverpool, when it moved it initially, you know, as I said before, it was a positioning exercise. This. I think we really started to get serious about it when we got to the shortlist. I think then we knew we were on to something because that really transpired in energy. And of course, as you'll ever know with places, when you're, when you're looking to, you know, develop, you know, some of it is about confidence. A lot of it is about confidence and a lot of it is about belief. And all of a sudden we had a belief and we had a confidence flying through the veins of, of the people of the city who saw this is going to, this could be a great opportunity. And, and, and in a way, I think, you know, right the way through from when we got to that shortlist to where we are today, we've been riding that wave since then. Um, but we needed a catalyst. You know, some places have used Olympic Games or whatever to be the catalyst for their place. We needed a catalytic moment and capital culture came along at exactly the right time for us in terms of a catalytic moment uh, to change the fortunes and direction of a city that had lost its way. So, Richard, do you remember getting behind that, you know, as, as an individual? Do you remember getting behind it just intellectually? Do you remember that whole period as, as Liverpool goes from, you know, managed to decline to purposefully making a statement that it's going to go forward with this? Can you remember the feelings of that at the time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a very exciting time to live in the city. But I'll one thing I will say, because I've been working in this industry now for 20 years, and all of the language that we now use, and it's very commonplace about provider engagement, um, you know, stakeholder engagement, e-enablement, all of the um, you know, dispersal, that attract and disperse idea, you use a brand like Liverpool to bring people in and then disperse to other areas of a, of a, of a, of a wider enclave. All of that language, which is very much baked into the modern sort of the DMO, um, you know, world and, and, and worldview, I think the first time I heard it was in Liverpool. Okay, I think if we look back, a lot of that was created in that push from Liverpool. So I think I don't know what about you, Chris. I mean, did you hear of it before? All of that, that you know, it's you know, I, I don't remember hearing it anywhere else until, until no i you're you're 100 right i remember uh when there was the first initial gathering of stakeholders to talk about the opportunities of liverpool bidding for capital culture and they everybody was in a room and virtually nobody knew anybody and it was like uh but it was the start of the creation of a partnership and a collaboration and what actually happened from those days when nobody knew anybody and everybody just plowed their own furrow so became the, the, the foundations and the building of a collaborative partnership, which is which, which has basically continued right the way through since that day. And and it gives you the kind of resonance when you have a cause and you have a, a cause that everybody can get behind, it creates a, a, an opportunity to do that. Where I think Liverpool has, 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 has basically done what a number of other cities I don't think have done, is they've kept it going. they kept the ethos of that beyond the time of capital culture. So a lot of places get a big award, they have a big event, they have a big opportunity, and then they just go back to normal again. Liverpool never did that. Liverpool basically charged on off the back of it. 
and they they knew that they had that collaboration. They knew they had that real sense of identity that had been created. They harnessed it, they captured it, and they built upon it. And and that is you know where I would agree with you that that whole spirit of collaboration and partnership has really been the springboard for Liverpool's success over the last 10, 15 years. Well, and and I want to I want to talk about that in more detail with both of you. So. Definitely the trajectory of Liverpool over over the 10 years since it was designated was absolutely foot down on the pedal, continuing that inertia. In 2018, you had your 10th anniversary of that designation. Is that right? And Yeah, and, and actually 2018 was actually more about, it was a really interesting positioning there because it wasn't about celebrating the last 10 years. It was about looking forward to the next 10 years. So actually it was more about 28 than it was about 08. Because Super. we didn't need to, we didn't hastily need to keep on looking backwards. We knew where we'd come from, but we knew uh, also that to continue that trajectory uh, and to basically build upon it for the next 10 years was going to be a lot harder, a lot tougher, a lot different to what we'd done for the previous 10 years, which is why we talked about 28, not 18. Well, that's that's brilliant. And if if you were alive in eighteen, though, most of us were, um, you were hard pressed not to see um, images of that event around the world. And I'm thinking specifically, you had a program of of, of the living giants or something. What was that? Yeah, we had the we had the giant spectacular, which has been to the city three times, which you know brought a, a million plus people onto the street. Um, I think the ethos of all of these things was not was about inclusiveness. So it was about things that any citizen in any part of the city, you know, could enjoy, but also would be a springboard for people to come afar to see what we, we could do. But also a lot of it based around those images that that, that, yeah. that uh, develop off of that. We had the three queens, uh, you know, from the Cunard estate in the river. We had a huge amount, but the, the, the whole campaign and the whole thing was built about uh, large scale events, bringing people together. It, it was kind of cementing all the things we've been doing over the last 10 years that had made Liverpool the place that it had become, that it, it wasn't certainly back in the early 2000s. Well, there's a, there's a shot I remember from all that, and it's standing at the top of your high street, and I can't remember what your main thoroughfare, the walking thoroughfare is called, and it's the walking giants. These are these are literally animated giant yep. structures of people and, and, and animals and things looking down towards the former, you know, docks, and not the docks, but the... Um, the the India Company headquarters. It's an amazing shot. It sort of frames and captures. Wow, this place is really unique and interesting and different. In the in those ten years that intervened, there was a tremendous, tremendous amount of development that took place in Liverpool. Things that weren't in place even when the when the when the capital of culture designation was made. I, I'm thinking of that magnificent complex that's built both uh, at ground level and below ground level. That's that's the that's the um, uh, common center and shopping center. I'm thinking of the arena and stuff. Let's talk about a little bit about the development in between, and then let's talk about the the complexity of balancing that as you go forward. You've got a vision for 2028. You want to preserve, but at the same time, you want to grow as a city, especially economically, socially, and in terms of social justice. So let's talk about a bit of the development that got us to 18 and where we're going next in that 2028 plan. And but 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 first off, Richard, just describe some of the development really quickly that went play, went in place between 8 and 18, some of the bigger projects? Yeah, I mean, I suppose one of the challenges of 2008 was that it wasn't all done. That was the that was one of the big problems, wasn't it, Chris? So there were, mm. the, you know, the, some of the things that are there now, you, you kind of would have, you would have wanted 
to be there, you know, in 2008. But I mean, essentially, the Liverpool one, which was the big growth and development, I mean, they, they simply, um, it was called the Big Dig, wasn't it, sort of informally. And it was it literally just dropped a new city centre, you know, sort of into, um, you know, that, that, that space that was, I mean, wasn't it the Moat House, actually? Your old hotel was there, wasn't it? It it was yeah, yeah. it was it uh, dis- <laughs> so, disappeared as part of the big dig <laughs> exactly exactly so um, so that, I mean you know that that was absolutely transformational and um, you know I think the it was the as I think I said in the last one it was the, probably the biggest uh, retail development in Europe at the time and um, and you know huge amount of ambition behind that because I suppose there was always the risk that perhaps perhaps we couldn't support it but it, it's proved to be very resilient um, through. Um, you know, numerous uh, uh, financial problems that we've had over the over the last sort of fifteen years, I suppose. Um, well, it's certainly yeah, a mag- it also- it's a magnificent place to visit. It really is a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to spend lots of time walking through shopping districts. Yeah. This this one's different. Um, the other one that jumps out is your art gallery down on the on, on the uh, riverfront. It's an amazing piece. When was that finished? I think that was soon after. Do you mean the Liverpool, the Museum of Liverpool Life and the the because there's the Tate, which is but that was part of the Albert Dock and that was there before. But you've got the um, the Museum of Liverpool Life and you know Chris, help me out here. What, which are the other galleries? Um, you know, on the on the yeah, that was the that was the new one. We'd already had the uh, you'd already got the the sort of Walker Art Gallery, the World Museum. They they were already there in, in a certain respect, but. I think you'd had that whole waterfront development, which was the the museum was also the the not the exhibition center that came in 2016, but the the convention center and the arena. And I think where we were where where we were um, fortuitous in in a way was that the likes of the the Liverpool One, which was a massive project, was undertaken by a company like Grosvenor, who had a very long term ambition of investing in a place for the long term. So they, they put an infrastructure in there to last for a long time. Uh, they, they put the, the, the investment in there, which, uh, you know, we've all seen shopping malls where they're, they're kind of, you know, not, not the best. And this, this basically changed the dynamic of the city. Uh, and it set the pace, actually. It set the pace for everything else that came in after it. So the hotel development, the retail, the, 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 the restaurants, the bar, all started to come off the back of those big projects. But do not underestimate, they were, they, Liverpool was doing, you know, when it got the award, you know, it did about five years of investment, which normally would have taken about 15 years. So it was, you know, when we talk about a catalyst, it was a catalytic moment, which enabled the city to reposition itself dramatically, but also took itself through some real pain in those five years and you know for to keep everybody on board everything was getting changed places were getting dug up it was a really massive infrastructural change uh, you had this you had the concerns about would liverpool deliver the program would liverpool be able to meet the expectations so you had a lot of tension in that space it wasn't a right we've won we've won capital culture it's now going to be a walk in the park it the hard work started upon winning that uh, announcement and and in a way you know, you, Richard was right in the context of the fact we would never get everything finished by 2008. But actually, that didn't really matter. It was about putting on an outstanding performance in 2008, which the city did. That was that combined with the infrastructure changes started the enticement of private sector investment in the city and actually changed the face of the city for the last, over the next, over the last 10 years. 
So if you came to this city now and you 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 came to the city in two thousand, you just wouldn't recognise it. You wouldn't recognise it. It's completely changed that that much. I was just going to add to that. It's really important that you mentioned the quality and they were building for the long term because if, yeah. if that had, you see these sorts of shopping centre developments, these can be future ghettos if they're done poorly. Um, and Liverpool One is absolutely not that. And I think more than anything, it helped make sense of the city because before that, there was no connection between the Albert Dock and the rest of the city centre. Um, and it, they were, you, you know, this this very much kind of made it feel like one place um and it, and it just made sense of 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 the city really and so i think from that point of view it was a very clever design oh it was and, and i mean when i used to work at the moat when i used to work at the moat house hotel as general manager and people used to look at the used to, used to look at where the albert dock was yeah they said right i need to get a taxi to go to that Right. Because it seems so far away. Right, right. Now you would never even think about it. It's all interconnected, and it did seem far away. You have to cross a, a green park, across a road, a double, you know, a dual carriageway to get to it. Yep. And it did look like it was another part of the city. It looked like it was completely disconnected from the city. And and actually, what Liverpool wanted, they closed that. They made, they brought that compactness. They brought that proximity together, and they took out that equation. But you know that, that's just an indicator of you know how people were thinking in those times. You know, so it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting. Well, and I'll give you some I'll give you some feedback on that because um, I I've never been to Liverpool in my life. I'll be at I was born not far from there. Finally showed up, and your train station disgorges me onto the um, main thoroughfare, which is a which is a walking mall, which is fantastic. And make my way down to my hotel, rolling my luggage. I go out for a walk. And your and your Liverpool One complex does exactly that. It spits me out unaided at the Albert Dock. So by the time I do meet Richard, I've had a you know forty five minute walk around. But I, but the, the 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 city itself has literally conveyed me around through its passages. It's a really excellent job of, of wayfinding. Let's talk about that uh, in the context twenty twenty eight. What's next? Uh, how do we get there as as we close out this conversation? Well, I think I think the interesting context of that is, and you know, we talked about that in terms of where we've been and where we come from. We've had this really, you know, strong period of growth and, and really, you know, you know, very very fast explosion, really. And and I think we even before we had the the pandemic, we started to see some uh, chinks at uh, in, in the sort of 2018-2019 period, where that sort of runaway train was just starting to slow down a little bit, and that was primarily because We'd caught up with all the other destinations. We'd started to catch up with other cities. You know, I mentioned that, you know, we were 10 years behind. We weren't 10 years behind anymore now. Uh, you know, we were basically competing at the Premier League table. You know, we, but we started to say, actually, how are we going to manage this demand supply? How are we going to manage our local residents so our local residents remain absolutely connected to the city and don't, you know, we, we'd seen what started to happen in Barcelona and Amsterdam and Venice. We started to see where if you get that balance wrong, then you've got to be very careful. So it was about really beginning to move from a period of organic growth to a period of structured growth and having a more strategic approach to what is the city missing? What are the gaps? What are the things that we rather than probably in the period up till 2018, it was anybody that wanted to come in and build a hotel, come on in, fill your boots, get that, you know, and we would really take anything and everything. And we were starting to go into a period, which we are in now, even coming out of COVID, about starting to look at being a bit more selective in that space 
what is really going to add value to the offer we've got here? What is really going to bring a 365 today a year experience? What is going to work for our residents? What is going to work for our visitors, both internationally and domestically? So it's, it's given us a very different narrative, I think. Uh, and actually, COVID, although it's been, it was disastrous for our visitor economy, and you know, our visitor economy is a massive part of our economy here. 48% of our business rates in this city are paid to businesses in, our, in this sector. So it's very high reliance. Some might say too high a reliance. You, know, you can look at it either way, either side of the coin. Yeah? But I think we've now moved into that period of actually, it's not about just welcoming everybody. It's a bit more about a targeted approach and, and a much more of a strategic approach to the next 10 years well, than we had for the period of 8 to 18. And in there is, is, is the idea of a Liverpool that serves people from Liverpool and serves visitors. That begins to brush up against the uh, uh, World Heritage Site designation in the last couple of years. You've got a city like Liverpool. It cannot turn its back on growth. It wants to maintain the culture and the history and the pieces that have made it famous, but it's a balancing act, isn't it? There, there's times when that's yeah. restrictive. You talked to me before about maybe the the application was a little too broad when it was made and that, you know, 2020 hindsight, 2020 hindsight being the thing, what would you do differently now that you're seeing some of those pressures? Yeah, I mean, I think the World Heritage uh, uh, conversations are really interesting. One, because you know, my view is that Liverpool is, is still the world heritage city. It just doesn't have the badge of UNESCO anymore. Uh, I think when we went to that designation, this is where a city at that time in the early 2000s is looking for accolades, a bit like we talked about earlier about looking for that capital of culture. The opportunity to be designated as a world heritage site was a, was a very tempting opportunity. And the city fathers at that time took a decision to basically include large swathes of the dock area that were at that stage completely underdeveloped uh, and derelict. So it looked a fairly sensible decision. If you look at it in hindsight, it was the wrong decision because at some stage, as a growing developing city, we would need to basically grow and develop into exactly those areas. So in a way, where we started to clash with UNESCO was, you know, we are not a, we're not a Stonehenge, we're not a we're not, we're not, you know, we, we are a living, breathing city. And actually, as a living, breathing city, we have to develop that city. We need to do it sensitively and we need to do it in recognition of the, of the heritage backdrop to which we, those places are. But you can't just keep them in aspect forever because you run into a battle between economic growth and social growth. And, and you, can't, you can't basically just say that area. And of course, the interesting fact about a lot of the UNESCO sites is that as of the public, you couldn't go and see it anyway. It was in private land. So it wasn't as if people were rocking up every day to go and have a look at it. They haven't got a clue where the World Energy Site was, to be honest. But it's a kind of interesting space where, where you look at, was the, was the decision to go for that wrong? No. Was the ambition of that wrong? No. Was the, was the hunger to satisfy? Probably too much. So in a certain respect, it comes back to bite you a little bit at some stage. But I think we took the loss of UNESCO. I mean, we still have UNESCO City of Music, so we've still got one of them left. But we actually still believe very strongly we are a World Heritage City. We, 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 we say we are because it, it hasn't taken away. The three graces haven't disappeared. The, the various things that make us very special haven't disappeared. It's just that status has disappeared. Now, I think Liverpool and Liverpool residents basically took that quite 
quite well. And actually, UK government, who sometimes not our greatest supporters, 100% backed Liverpool in that space. So I think it's interesting when you make decisions, when you are trying to basically grow and develop, you have to take decisions that sometimes are don't come back to, to come back to bite you. But at that time, it was a great decision. It was an ambitious decision. It was a statement of intent followed up by capital culture. And I think that's the way sometimes you need to look at this. It, it kind of frames the, the dialogue you had right at the start, David, about cultural heritage being, is it a positive, is it a negative? Sometimes it's both. Well, and I think that's really well said. And none of this impeaches um, any of, of the capital culture program. None of it impeaches... Um, you know, Liverpool's status to me, it's a it's a capital of culture. It's an amazing place to go and immerse yourself in. But what I'm really happy to talk to you about is we're all going to face these incredible pressures between preserving and growing. We have a social responsibility in most of the destinations we have that aren't, you know, sort of artifact destinations to actually include life and people. And we're going to have that balance for the next 30 years. It's going to be one of our biggest challenges. So I really can't thank you enough for speaking honestly and candidly about it here. I think Liverpool's a remarkable case study, and I think people need to keep their eyes on it to see how do great big entities like Liverpool grow and change. I mean, you know, if you go back to the 80s, there were things like managed decline. That was actually a civic theory of, of management. We have come so far. It's a magnificent place to visit. You can feel the cultural heritage. You can feel history all of its good and all of its bad i mean I've, I've you know i've been to the docks i've been to the churches that were bombed it's an amazing place that preserves a, a whole era two eras in time actually um i thank you both for joining me today final words to both of you if you're talking to our destination peers around the world about catalytic development and using things like this final thoughts i'll go to you first richard um <laughs> You sprang that one on me. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm still thinking. <laughs> All right, Chris, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give him a let because he's my friend and I owe him a beer. So, um, thoughts, <laughs> final thoughts on on those sort of catalytic things and, and getting your ducks. I think uh, for anybody in destination management, is uh, you know first and foremost, never stand still. Uh, you always have to keep on rolling with the with the trends, rolling with the punches. Always stay ambitious. Uh, but in everything you do, you don't always have to be a natural lead, but you need to be a collaborator, you need to be a facilitator, you need to be a catalyst, you need to be an arm rounder, you need to basically develop a different network of partnerships and collaborations, keeps your destination front of mind, never stay still, never think you've reached utopia, it doesn't exist. Wise words, thanks for that. Richard, over to you. Yeah, I, I, I think the key thing with Liverpool is really about the authenticity. It, 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 it really, once it had reframed itself, I suppose, after the kind of malaise of the 80s, and it, it had sort of reminded itself what made it great. I think it, it did a really good job of, um, of sticking to its guns then and being authentic. And I think that's what people love about it. They, it never tried to be... A Manchester or a London or you know it was it was always Liverpool everything it did came from that spirit and I think that really is what everybody responds to. Well it's a great pleasure to talk to both of you um, as I said after our first call it put me on a on a research binge and I wanted to read everything I could about everything from Thatcherism to Queen Victoria so thanks thanks for the cue it's a real pleasure to talk to you a lot of great lessons in there let's do this again. <laughs>